name, Jesus. We may not know perfect this, perfect that, but we know the name of Jesus. That name of Jesus that, that turns away the demons. That name of Jesus that pushes the dark away and dispels it. That name of Jesus that encourages the saint that's weary. Lord, we thank you for that name. We bless you. We bless you tonight, Lord. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, I tell you what, all through the worship tonight, I've just been feeling a sweet presence of the Lord. Amen. Just a sweet presence of the Lord. God is so good to us, and sometimes, um, you know, we can miss it. You know, there's a lot of people that when Jesus walked the earth, they didn't know he was God. They didn't know the gift of God that was in their very presence. Think about it. Like the woman that wanted him to, uh, for the water, you know? I mean, he could have given her everlasting water. And she was just looking for a cup of water. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Well, we're going to have a good time tonight in Jesus' name. I've already been having a good time, but um, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open to Hebrews 12. We're going to jump back in this river we were in this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. So um, a couple of things that we did today, um, we we had um, awesome church service, awesome worship, um, but one thing that I want to make sure that you, you know, that you do is just continue to pray for our nation. Even, you know, right now we're in such a divide and um, we're seeing God begin to move and the enemy doesn't want to let go. Um, but I was just, you know, I was I was telling Brother Derek, I've, I've just been encouraged because even in our street ministry, I'm starting to see that God is beginning to push back darkness. Like wherever we go, it seems as though God is pushing the darkness back. God's given us ground, in other words, like God's given us territory. And it's so awesome to see God moving like that and um, the resistance, you know, moving out. One thing, um, we've had so much resistance from one of the local people down where we've been going. And then we found out this past week that they're moving and they resigned their position and they're moving away. I mean, Every single time we were down there, when we first started going to preach, they called the police on us every time. And now we find out they're moving. So God's moving. Amen. God's moving. And God does things we don't know anything about. But um, God has his way of doing things. And then we found out um, I got um, in touch with the people at the police station because when we were at the Juneteenth festival preaching, we had severe encounters with the police. Um, it was not looking good for a while, um, but we got um, complete freedom now that I got with this, the city of Shreveport, and um, 
they agreed with our interpretation of the law, and so they told us that we can preach exactly like we were going to preach, and they sent me an email saying that we could do it, and so I can print it out and hand it to if there's any other problems. So we praise God for just the opportunities that God is opening those doors up, and God's moving. Amen. It's, a, it's, it's encouraging to see that happen, and, and not only that, but we're starting to get other churches to partner up with us. We have two churches now in Texas that are partnering up with us, and um, any of the next events that we're doing, they're going to come and help us out. So we praise God for that. Amen. So God's moving, and it's exciting to see, and uh, I, I love seeing what God's doing, and um, I was a little bit uh, missing out because uh, Brother Ryan, he went down to New Orleans this weekend. They had something called the Essence Festival. I never heard of it before. But there was, they say, 500,000 people. 500,000 people go to this event. And um, he went there to preach all weekend, and then he got to minister with uh, Raven International uh, this weekend. So they had a good time, and uh, we'll be praying for them to have a safe trip back. So anyways, um, but it's been good and eventful, and we're starting to see a lot of things move, but uh, we're going to keep expanding and pushing forward in the gospel. And um, if you want to get involved with that, just let us know. We'll we'll be sure to help you get hooked up. Uh, I got a lot of ideas on that, and I did get a lot of feedback today on our food pantry. So we have, um, I had several people volunteer. Um, If we have enough people volunteering, we may be able to open the food pantry up all five days of the week, which I think that would be great, even if it's just for one hour, um, just so everybody can know. But um, I think that it's very imperative that we begin to pray along these lines. Um, if the nation continues to be led by, you know, whatever it's being led by right now, um, it seems as though food prices are going to skyrocket. Um, I was just uh, uh, grocery shopping with my family this past week, and I thought, I wanted a box of cereal that was $7. I couldn't do it. There's no way. It was $6.99. You know, plus tax would be $7. There is no way I can buy a box of cereal for that. But then you go and look at all the other ones, and, I mean, they're just, just everything's like that. So um, the reason I'm saying that is because we're going to have to stand in the gap as, as God's people, and, and um, we have an opportunity to be able to be a blessing. And people, you know, they may not be able to, to have, you know, certain types of food. Um, but we're going to have a food bank here so that people can come and, and get food. Um, and as I told the church this morning, I'll say this and then we'll get started. The way that we're going to operate our food bank is no questions asked. You don't ask questions. You don't say, well, what'd you do with your paycheck? If somebody's hungry, they're hungry. And uh, we're going to make sure that we're able to help them out. So be praying about that. If you want to be a part of it, it's going to be a, a good bless, a good way to, to continue to bless those around us and, and help. And I, I really believe that, um, you know, if things keep going the way they're going, we're all going to be having to help each other. Um, but we're going to get started on helping our community. We already do in a lot of ways. A lot of times y'all may not even see some of it, but we're able to help people out with, you know, an electrical bill or buying groceries or um, whatever. And, um, and it's a blessing to be able to do that. So only, only God knows, right? 
All right. Well, we're going to get started, like I said, in, in Hebrews chapter 12 tonight, and we're going to be beginning in verse number 14. What I'm going to do um, is ask you to turn there. We're going to get back into this vein of grace, um, which, and I'm saying it that way for a reason, this vein of grace. Um, but we're going to get into this, and, um, and Lord willing, uh, we'll be able to, to finish it on out, and um, we will... Uh, we, we are just believing that God's going to just get this word planted down in our hearts um, regarding his grace. How many of you know we need God's grace? Amen. Amen. We need God's grace. I was just uh, kidding around today, but I was talking about, you know, we're, we're, we've all been given a measure of grace. It's, it's, we've all been given a measure of God's grace, and, um, and I thank God for that. God knows what I need, and he gives me the grace, and he knows what you need. And he gives you the measure that you need to be able to do what you need to do to live for him. And let's just praise God for that, right? Praise God for that. Yeah, that's good. Amen. But tonight is going to be a little bit different um, uh, way that we're going to go on this. But let's go ahead and, and pray and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we bless you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. Lord, we thank you for your truth. It's it's your truth that makes us free. And Lord, we thank you that we can know that truth and we can be set free tonight. And Lord, that's what our prayer is. I pray, Lord, uh, just that you would have your way. I ask, Lord, for the anointing to preach and teach as you desire. And Lord, we ask for that anointing to hear and receive all that you have for us tonight. And Lord, we ask it. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' mighty and matchless name, everybody says. All right. Praise the Lord. So in Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be beginning in verse number 14 um, as we get into this message tonight. It says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now that, that verse in and of itself is, is often preached. That verse in and of itself is often preached that no man will see the Lord without that holiness. And the first part of it says to follow peace with all men. Um, that is that we are called to be peaceable, uh, meaning it's, it's not that you um, are finding peace with people that are antithetical to God and you're just, you know, but it is it is helping them to get to a place of finding peace through Christ. Right. Because a lot of times people oppose themselves. I know there was a time in my life. I don't know about you. Maybe your testimonies like me, but there was a time in my life that I opposed God. I lived for me, and I praise God, hallelujah, that someone intervened and shared the gospel with me, and I realized I was not at peace with God. Amen? I was not, and someone helped me and to, to understand that. But the second part, it says to, to that, that uh, and holiness without which no man will see the Lord. Now, holiness is, is a, um, a product of God. Holiness is a, a, is a mark that God's been there. And if we're not living holy, it, it is evident that we don't know God. Because if you know God, you know who the Holy One is. He's holy. And sometimes in our life, and this is going to make sense in a little bit, we can make a vain imagination in our own mind about who God is. I was talking to somebody before that thought God was a rock. 
I kid you not, crystal, a crystal rock, it talks to them. It's a vain imagination, a vain imagination. But the reality is sometimes we can concoct imaginations in our own mind about who God is. And what happens when we do that is we begin to make a God in our own image. It's, it's, that's the very definition of a vain imagination. And you know what we're supposed to do with imaginations that cast themselves, that, that come up against God. We're supposed to cast those imaginations down that exalt themselves against the knowledge of who? Christ. There are imaginations out there in the world that are against Christ. And we have to take those things captive to the obedience of Jesus. But what we see here is that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And, and, and like I said, holiness is a product of knowing God. If you know the right God. Now, if you don't know God, you're going to live how you want to live. And no preacher is going to be able to tell you what to do. Preacher can preach on holiness, standing upside down and hollering and hooping. But if you don't know God, you won't get it. Holiness is a mark that God's had an effect on you. You understand what I'm saying? There's some things that God teaches you that men can't. There's things, you know, um, Brother Ravendale said it like this. He said that, that sometimes as a man or woman of God, you have to understand if you want the anointing on your life, you have to understand that others may be able to do something, but you can't. That means that that holiness that God's put on your heart causes you to not walk like other people walk. I don't understand how in the world people can go and watch worldly movies. I can't. And I'll tell them, you know, but you know what? At the end of the day, I just have to say, you know what? You might be able to do it. I can't. I can't square that. I can't square that circle. I can't sit there and, 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 and know who God is and allow that filth to come into my heart. I can't. And, and, and so... There's times that we have to understand others may do something, but we can't. And, and what that shows is that shows that God is actually having an effect on you. That, that God's presence is beginning to tear down those walls of carnality. That God's presence is beginning to tear down those walls of opposition. Those worldly things. And only God can do a lot of that. Amen? I mean, you can have somebody tell you, you know, whatever... But it is the Spirit of God that truly produces the change in us. And without that desire to be like God. You know, uh, Paul, uh, Peter said it like that. He, Peter said, be ye holy. For what? For I am holy. For God is holy. And, you know, that's, that is one of those things that is sometimes unteachable by man. You have to understand how holy God is and allow that holiness to begin to cleanse you out. Allow that holiness to begin to purge you out. Allow that holiness to begin to take you from the wrong side of the tracks to the place that God wants you to be. And, and without that, no man will see the Lord. And that is that, that holiness is exercising yourself. Exercising yourself in godliness. That's what it is. And we're going to hit on that in a little bit. But the reality is not everybody exercises themselves to holiness. Not everybody exercises themselves into the things of God. Some of us, some of us are just, you know, on the back burner, just 
you know, on the fringes. Some of us are around the camp, only close enough to see every once in a while. But it is this desire to know God that will produce a true change in you, just exercising yourself to godliness. But the reality is a lot of people don't, and what happens is they begin to fail the grace of God. This next verse that we're about to get into shows us that it is possible to fail the grace of God. Now, God's grace has been misused and mistaught in our generation, and not only our generation, but it has been misused and mistaught. But God's grace is available for us. It enables us to be what we otherwise could not be. That's what God's grace does. God's grace will equip you to do what you can't in the natural do. That's what God's grace will do. I in myself can't live holy, but God's grace in me, hallelujah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's God's grace at work in me. God didn't give me grace so that I can, you know, build a bigger building and a bigger house and, and slam dunk a basketball. But, but Christ in me, the hope of glory, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me to live holy. Try to, tell, try to tell God that you, it's not possible for you to live holy when, when Philippians 4 says that Christ, right, Christ will strengthen you. You can do all things through him that strengthens you. You don't, now, I, I'll, I'll give you this, like, God will strengthen you to live holy, but do you really think God will strengthen you to slam dunk a basketball? But that's how most people use that verse. When they find some natural thing that they can't do. Well, I can't crochet, but I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Well, that's good, but really and truly, if you want to know the context of that verse, it's to live for God in an ungodly world. You can do that through the God who strengthens you on the inside. You can. But again, it's about you exercising yourself over to that and not failing this gift of God's grace for you and for me. How many times in your life have you failed the grace of God? Right? How, how many times have we put our hands around, you know, the wrong thing? How many times have we, have we ex ex exerted unbelief? How many times have we neglected to walk in faith and neglected to walk in the Spirit, and then we reap a harvest from that? Right? If you sow to the flesh, what do you get to reap? Come on. Nobody likes it, but it's coming. If you sow to that flesh, you're going to reap of it every time. You cannot expect to sow to the flesh and reap of the Spirit. That's what today's church, that's where it's at. Today's church believes that they can sow to the flesh and reap of the Spirit. And what you're going to see tonight is that's not possible. God's not going to be mocked. God won't be mocked. If we continue to sow to the flesh, we will not reap a spiritual harvest. We will reap corruption. Now let's get into verse number 15. As I said, this is the part where he's talking about failing grace. It says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat, sold his birthright. Now, there's three, 
there's three categories of people that fail the grace of God there. We're not going to, you know, dive into too much, but it's bitterness, fornication, and profane. And if you allow yourself to get bitter, come on now. They passed me over for the promotion. What, what, what about when, you know, you can get bitter about a failure in a relationship? You can get bitter about a job loss. You can get you can get bitter about you know a lot of things. If, if, and you can get bitter about silly things because the devil doesn't care what it is. Because he'll give you a magnifying glass to show you how you got used. He'll give you that magnifying glass so that you can focus on that issue and get bitter about it instead of. Giving it to God. And, and, and in all honesty, we all have an opportunity to get bitter about a lot of things. But a godly person refuses to get bitter. A godly person refuses to get bitter. And you're going to have the, 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 the thing that you're going to see tonight is that in order for you to not fail the grace of God, you're going to have to exercise into godliness. There's no neutral. If you, if, you think, if you think you can ride in neutral, you're giving yourself over into one of these categories and failing the grace of God. And specifically, it would be the one called the profane. Don't be a profane person. The, 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 the word profane there, um, like I've, I've always heard in my life, is not to profane the name of God. And I don't know about you, but the closer I get with God, the more that just rubs me the wrong way when people use God's name as a curse word, right? I've heard a minister say, well, you wouldn't use your mom's name as a curse word, right? Like you hit, you hit your finger with a hammer, you wouldn't say, you know, my mom's name was Patty. I wouldn't say, oh, Patty, if I hit my finger with a hammer, right? But people use God's name like that. And that's the only name people can be saved by. That's your creator. And I'm, I, I, I reverence my mom so much because she's my mom. And yet people today, they don't reverence God. And though GD this and, you know, JC that. And in, in, in very, very profanely using the name of the most high God. And, and, and it is still one of the Ten Commandments, by the way, not to profane the name of God. It, it, it is still one of the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> Even if almost every movie you watch, there's an OMG. It's still against the Ten Commandments. But here's the reality. O, o, OMG does defile the name of God, profane the name of God. And, and I encourage you, you know, to, to, to not allow yourself to be a partaker of profaning the name of God. But look at this. It says, it, it says that a profane person like Esau who sold his birthright, he traded who he was for what he didn't have. And you got to understand who you are in Christ Jesus. Who are you in Christ Jesus? You have to understand that you're a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. You have to understand that you're not who you once were. And listen, if God has made you new, I want you to understand something. Esau was not content with the birthright God gave him. And Esau traded it 
for something carnal that he didn't have in the natural. And you know, a lot of people today are not content with the spiritual harvest. They're not content with who God made them in the spirit. They would rather have something in the carnal. They would rather have something that is flashy. They would rather have something that is tangible in the natural rather than is powerful in the spiritual. And, and the reality is, is that, that like Esau, many in the church today are moved by the profane. The word profane, as I said earlier, it means irreverence. Irreverence. Or using that which is godly for temporal gain. Using that which is of God for temporal gain. Irreverent. Irreverent. Uh, I, uh, I remember just, you know, thinking, how, how is it possible that the church has fallen this short in this area? But the reality is it always has. There's, there's always been issues with God's people missing the mark in reverencing him. And we've, we need God to get us into that place where we are beginning to reverence him again so that we don't fail the grace that God has for us. And I want you to know there is a battle in front of the church and we need the grace of God like never before for the battle we're about to face. We don't know the wickedness that's coming on the land. There's a reason there's going to be a latter rain. Because God's going to pour out the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. Because we're going to need it. We're going to need a move of God to be able to withstand what is coming. Do you see how vile and wicked the demonic world is right now? They are corrupting the minds of children. They are bloodthirsty for babies. They are angry and murderous generation. And they will eventually come after the church. And we're going to need God's grace for the battle in front of the church. The, 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 we can talk all we want to talk about, you know, the, the, the differences of doctrines between this church and that church. But you know what? When persecution comes, those things are going to fall by the wayside. It's going to be the Spirit of God that unites the people of God. And we're going to lock arms and stand in the name of Jesus. And God's going to do a work and pour out His Spirit in the last days on the church, just like He did in the first days of the church. But we're going to need God's grace. We're going to have to get off of being bitter and fornicating and being profane. And I mean, God is just really heavily just pouring this on my heart about coming out of those three camps. Um, the, the, the bitterness is when we're focused on what, what you know, should have been. And, and fornication is when you're just, you know, ungodly sexually and then this profane that's really what i want to get on to let me show you something over here in in uh jeremiah jeremiah 23 if you if you will turn with me to jeremiah i was saying earlier that that you know it's not new this being profane is not new but we can learn about how god dealt with it through jeremiah here so jeremiah 23 and we're going to move we're going to move down to verse number 13. So 
Jeremiah 23, and we'll move down to verse number 13. Hallelujah. Jeremiah says here in verse 13, he said, And and I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied in Baal and caused my people, Israel, to err. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers, that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom, and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. I'll pause right there for just a second. You understand the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? It was sodomy. That's where we get the word sodomy. It's homosexuality. They had changed the natural use for man, for woman, for man, for man, or woman for woman. But God likens these prophets. God likens these prophets who have exercised themselves over to evil as those who are sodomites. Why? Why? Because these people have exchanged what they were supposed to be, a prophet, for what they're not supposed to be, an evildoer. And, and it's the same way today. There are people today that, that should be and know better. But for worldly reasons, they allow themselves to be corrupted, thereby failing the grace of God. Let it not be said of you that you failed the grace of God. Let it not be said of you that you failed what God had for you. It is written in Ephesians 4, verse 1, that there is, and, and all the way down to verse 8, that there was that measure of grace that God has for you. Are you turning away from the measure of, of grace that God has for you? Are, in other words, are you holding back on God? Are you holding back on God? What has God poured into you? Are you holding back on God? Let's continue in verse number 15. Verse 15. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them to drink the water of gall. For the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness, gone forth into all the land. From the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. These these were supposed to be God's folks, but through them, profanity went everywhere. You know, Charles Finney said that. He said, as goes the pulpit, so goes the nation. Charles Finney said that. Why? Because the men of God are supposed to hold the standard of God. If the men of God don't hold the standard of God, how can you expect the people of God to hold the standard of God? If we don't say, look, this is what God says, we've got to come up to that standard. We've got to live according to the word of God. We've got to reverence God and honor God and glorify God. And if we don't do that, people won't do that. As goes the pulpit, so goes the nation. We, we are adamantly upset and rightly upset at the ungodliness in our nation. Pride Month, the Dobbs decision at the Supreme Court. 
Half the nation don't know whether it's okay to kill a baby or not. Half the nation don't know what bathroom to use. I mean, we we are in in an upside-down world, right? And we are rightfully upset about it. But judgment starts with the house of God. That's what Peter teaches us. Judgment starts with the house of God. And what we've got to get right, we've got to get these pulpits going back in the right direction. We've got to get the word of God going forth like it's supposed to in the pulpits again. We've got to put the crosses back in our churches. We've got to take the jumbotrons down and take all the stage props down and put that cross back up there. We've got to get back to the main thing being the main thing. That's what we've got to do. And the reality is, is, is that, as God says here, from the prophets of Jerusalem, profanity went through all the land. People, once, once people begin to see the men of God drink alcohol, oh, I can drink alcohol. Once they see the men of God change this wife for that wife and that wife for this wife, they think I can do it too. Once the men of God begin to lower the standard, they lower the standard even more. That's why when you see in the Word of God, all through the Word of God, if you're going to be a man or woman of God, there's a higher standard of living for you. And if you're a child of God, there's a higher standard of living for you than those in the world. You've been called to a higher standard. Well, I don't know about that. Don't be profane. Don't fail the grace of God. And don't think, oh, I can't do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can live according to the standard of God. You can go and sin no more if Christ is in you. You can. Now, what you see here, what you see here, though, is that from the prophets of Jerusalem, profanity went out. They, they were irreverent towards God. And you know what? Things will begin to change once the men of God stand up for God and begin to reverence the house of God, the word of God, the people of God, begin to reverence the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And, and we have to hold the churches accountable for that. We do. We have to stop supporting. We have to stop supporting movements. We have to stop supporting movements, whether it's their music or their teachings or whatever. We've got to stop supporting those things that are irreverent towards God. And if you see things that are irreverent towards God, lend your voice to it. Maybe God will use you to speak a word for somebody. Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. Well, maybe God's raised you up to ruffle feathers. If it's, if it's according to the Bible, don't worry about whose feathers are, you know, as they say, uh, somebody told Billy Sunday that his preaching was rubbing the cat's fur the wrong way. You know what Billy Sunday said? He said, well, turn the cat around. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if you're ruffling feathers, look, if it's according to the Bible, let the feathers be ruffled. And if somebody's irreverent towards God and you see it, tell them. Tell them. Lend your voice to God's holiness and God's righteousness and God's standard. Look, if it's according to the word of God, let it be. Let God be true and every man a liar. We have to get this thing back right. 
We can't expect, we cannot expect for that latter rain to fall in a church that will not uphold the standards of God. We have to, we have to come back to this place where we are reverencing God again and reverencing the house of God. And not treating our altars like, um, I've seen people have um, Big Macs on the altars. I mean, it's rare to see an altar in a church today. But even if you do, it's a place where you can set your Big Mac down. The The reality is, is that our reverence for God has gotten so low that when I begin to preach like this and say something like this, oh, man, oh, man. But the reality is, is, is I, I believe Charles Finney is 1,000% right. As goes the pulpit, so goes the nation. Now you see here, it says in verse number 15 that, that from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Profaneness, again, is irreverence towards God. Uh, How many of you would agree that our nation is irreverent towards God? It is. It is very irreverent towards God. Somebody told us this weekend they thought they were making fun of us by calling us Jesus freaks. And, And then they were making... They were making fun of God and and being irreverent towards God. But, you know, the reality is, is they just don't know who God is. They haven't had someone in their life that reverences God. They haven't seen godliness modeled. But that's where we come in. That's why we go. As long as they don't know, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going until they know who God is. Or God calls us home. When God takes us off the battlefield, we're going to keep going until they know. But here's the reality, is that it was from the prophets. From the prophets, profanity came into the land. And today it's the same way. From the prophets, profanity comes out of the church like sewage and it runs through the land. Because we don't reverence God anymore. Look what God says, though. Verse 16. God God interjects now. God interjects right here. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. Look at this. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say still unto them that despise me. The Lord hath said, you shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. Look at this. This to me is a picture of what we have in our nation today. It says here that God is actually intervening and he's telling people not to believe these prophets. Why? What's the divining characteristic on why you shouldn't believe these prophets? They make you vain. They make you vain. 
What does it mean to be vain? What does it mean to be to 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 have a vanity? What is a vanity? It's all about you, your image, you, and how things affect you. They make you vain. It it, it, it everything becomes centralized about you instead of being centered on God. Everything is about how it affects you and not how it affects God. You see, Paul would have quit many years before he got his head cut off if he was vain. Because at some point, if you're a vain person, you're going to stop preaching because they're starving you out. Or they're beating you enough. They're inflicting enough damage on you. If you're a vain person, you've got a quit button. But if you're a godly person, there's no quit in you. If you're a godly person motivated by the Spirit of God, they can cut your head off. They can drown you. They can beat you. They can whoop you. They can threaten you. They can starve you. They can do all that they can to you. But as we know, they can only do that to your body. But they can't do it to your soul. They can't do it to your soul. Here is important truth. Prophets that prophesy lies make people vain. If you want to see a hallmark of someone that's gone awry, it's vanity. It's because they're involved in things. They're so worried about how they look. They're so worried about how the church looks. They're so worried about how the stage props look. They're so worried about how the lighting looks. They're so worried about how the fog lights look. They're so worried about how everything looks. But they're not worried about God. It's what makes us vain. And God further goes down in verse 17. He says, and he, he, he gets specific here. And this is the part I want you to get. They say unto them that despise me. Listen to that. They say to them that despise me. So here, here imagine that this is someone that despises God. How many of you, how many of you, there's, you know, you preach, the, you preach certain things in this book, Right? Like, no, no fornicator will inherit the kingdom of God. No drunkard will inherit the kingdom of God. No homosexual will inherit the kingdom of God. No adulterer, no liar, no murderer will inherit the kingdom of God. You preach Oh, man, they start despising God real quick. Because, look, it's not, it's not me imagining these verses up. It's the word of God that we're standing on, right? And so people despise God. Or you start saying that Jesus is the only way. Well, Muhammad can't be right then. Muhammad's automatically disqualified according to John 14, 6. Jesus said he's the only way. No other way. The Buddha's not a way. Islam's not a way. You can't meditate your way to heaven. You can't reincarnate your way to a better life. There's one way. What God did on that cross. What God did on that cross is the only way to heaven. And naturally, people despise that. Right. And what he's saying here is there are people that despise God. And what do false prophets tell them? Come on now. What do false prophets, false prophets tell them? It's OK. You can have your own religion. You 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 have your own thing and I have my own thing. We're all going to the same place. This is the lie, is it not? 
Well, you, 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 you know, you have your God, I have my God. We just have different understandings and, you know, different cultures and things like this. False prophets smooth that over. God said that they despise me. And what do the false prophets say? Well, God said you'll have peace. You can despise God's word and have peace is what they say. You can reject what God says in here and still have peace. That's what false prophets say. And how many of you know we have a lot of spineless, gutless people, profiteers, that will not say what needs to be said? Some of the biggest ones, right? One of the biggest pastors in America just resigned, um, Rick Warren, famously instituted a thing called Chrislam, a joining between Christianity and Islam. One of the things that the, the current pope has started to endorse, that I believe they're opening this year, is a Chrislamic center. Well, you cannot join Christianity with other faiths. Because Jesus makes every other faith irreverent. He makes every other faith pointless. Because he said he's the way and the only way. No one comes to the Father but by him. Every knee is going to bow to him. Every tongue is going to confess him. He is God Almighty. And he is the only way to heaven. And every other faith is just wrong. And those, that, those peop, there are people that despise that. And we do have gutless, spineless folks that say, oh, it's okay. You can, you can think what you want, have your faith, and you can do this and have your faith. But the reality is, is either God's true or you are. Which one? Which one? You want to stand on your own limited reasoning or just agree with the word of God? That's what it comes down to. And in order for us to grow in grace, we're going to have to come to that place where we take God's word for what it says. You're not going to grow in godliness and still be in unbelief towards things that he says. You may not understand why. Come on. When I was little, my mom said, don't touch the stove. I didn't know why. It's beautiful and red. I didn't know why she said don't touch it, but I had to understand I better start listening to her. Even though I don't understand why she told me. And you know, there's things that God will tell you sometimes. You may not know why right now. Think about Naaman. God told Naaman to go dip in that river seven times. He almost missed his healing. Because he was trying to figure out why. And a lot of times the people of God miss what God has for them. The gift of God's grace for them in the moment because they're so focused on the why. Instead of just saying, well, God said it. God said it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. And so we, we have to come to that place. Now, the other thing that they said here is that, that everyone walks after their own imagination. And then these false prophets say, no evil will come on you. They walk after their own imagination. In other words, they're making up God after their own ideas. 
Well, in my reality, God would not punish the wicked. Well, in my reality, everybody gets to go to heaven. Well, that's your, that's your imagination, but that's not what God says. You know, there's a phrase, um, uh, hate the sin and love the sinner, right? Hate the sin and love the sinner. But, you know, you realize that there's so many people that are gutless and spineless when it comes to God's word and God's truth that they, they'll say, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to tell them that they're wrong. They've, they've made up their own imagination about God, and I'm just going to tell them no evil's going to come on you because I don't want to ruffle their feathers. But the reality is, if someone continues in sin, guess what? Guess what? They're in danger of hellfire. And if you know the truth, you have an obligation to extend the truth to them. Here's the reality. God is not going to throw whiskey in the hell he'll throw drunkards in the hell so you can hate the sin and love the sinner all you want but if the sinner don't repent they'll go to hell i i mean that's the truth you can love the the sinner all you want and hate the sin all you want but if you don't tell them If you don't tell them, they're on the way to hell. If you really love them, you should tell them the truth. That's what love does. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. How can we say we love them when we won't give them truth? God so loved the world that he gave the son. Who is Jesus? He said, I am the way, the what? Truth and the life. He is the truth. And if you truly love someone that's bound up in sin, give them the truth. Give them the truth. They need the truth. Otherwise, they may end up in hell because you withheld the truth from them, and then you would be as these prophets that Jeremiah's talking about. These people had made up a God in their own vain imagination. And these false prophets were telling them, no evil's going to happen to you. You can keep making things up as you go. You can keep creating a God in your own image. Just keep making it up as you go. Nothing's going to happen to you. The reality is something will happen unless they repent. Amen? Well, let me, let, let's go over to, to 1 Timothy 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I think the hallmark of that verse, it, it said, God said it in that verse. He said, he, he was telling the people, don't listen to these prophets. There's four words. They make you vain. The effect of ungodliness around you is vanity. Vain. A a, a vain thing is something that is not of God. Something that is temporal. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, 
Look at verse number 20 and 21 here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. Paul, Paul writes this here. O Timothy, keep that which is committed in thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Why? Which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. What happens is Paul is telling his protege, Timothy, watch out. Watch out and avoid profane and vain babblings. In other words, you need to have eye guards and ear guards and heart guards against vain and profane babblings. Do you know what a vain and a profane babbling is? Anything other than this. It's when you begin to put your understanding upon the things or over the things of God. That's why we have 13-step programs on how to get set free instead of leading people to an altar where they can have an encounter with the real God. We, we, we discount the power of God in people's lives anymore, and we have to coach them on things instead of teaching them to come to God and press through the things. That's why we have teachings on, they, they, they have, some churches have teachings on how to teach people to speak in tongues. You can't teach someone how to speak in the spirit. Why does someone do that? Because they're putting vain and profane understanding and imagination of what they think you need to do instead of doing what God prescribes for you to do. And it's like that on everything. You can find a 12-step program for anything. But, I, but look, chicken noodle soup for the soul won't cut it. It's vain and profane babblings that will cause you to err from your faith. It is vain and profane babblings that will cause you to err from your faith. And the reality is a lot of people have erred from the faith. What happens when you do that? What happens when you err from the faith? You become, you get into that place where you have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. That's what happens. If you get into that place where you, you've, you've entertained vain thoughts and you've entertained profane babbling, what happens is now it's just about going to church on the outside. It's about going to a building. It's not about what they preach. It's not about what they teach. It's not about the purpose of the church. It's about the building of the church and the activities of the church and the, and the, and the, and the things that you can do and have instead of the truth. It's supposed to be the truth that unites the church, not, not the Starbucks that unites the church. Not the psychology that unites the church. Not the philosophy that unites the church. The truth is supposed to be what unites the church. But he says that these vain and profane babblings cause people to err from the faith. And when you err from the faith, all you have left is a form of godliness. A form of godliness. 
How many of you know on the, on the day of testing, I want, I, you got to get this, on the day of testing, on the day of testing, do you want to stand against the enemy with chicken noodle soup for the soul and a form of godliness? Or when the enemy comes after you, do you want to stand against the enemy in the authority of Jesus Christ? Amen. In the name above all names, knowing the God that sought you, bought you, and lives inside of you, and pleading the blood against the enemy, right? Well, the the reality is, is people don't know because they've been given over to these profane teachings. These profane teachings. I got two places I want to take you. The, the first one, though, is in 1 Timothy here. 1 Timothy. Uh, let's just stay there in chapter 4. Move down to verse number 7. We'll just start here for time's sake. Paul says this. He says, but refuse profane. There, this word you've got to get. Profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. You're, one of the jobs that God has for you is to make sure that you're not allowing profane imaginations to rise up. The, 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 the people that Jeremiah was prophesying against, they started making imaginations of who they thought God should be in their own mind. They had vain imaginations about how they thought God should be. He said, don't do that. Exercise yourself rather unto godliness. What is godliness? The definition of godliness. It's following God. Following God. How are you going to follow God and then tell him he should do it better? How are you going to follow God and, and, and say, well, you know, you shouldn't be that abrasive about Islam. You shouldn't be that abrasive about Buddhism. I mean, they're good folks. Well, everybody's a good folk, especially if you're in the South. But that don't mean you're a godly folk. The only way you're a godly folk is if you're a born-again folk. And the reality is, 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 is that that truth is what ignited the church. Think about it. Think about it. The early church turned the world upside down. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have marketing. They didn't have DVDs, cassette tape ministry. They didn't sell the anointing. And I promise you, I assure you, They were not going around telling everybody, well, you can continue worshiping the God that you've made up. This is just a new way. We've got a new thing. You can do your thing. I assure you, the reason they were killed, crucified, filleted, boiled, speared, sawn asunder, The reason they were mutilated and martyred was because they refused to back off this one fundamental truth. There is one God. 
And there is one way to God, and that is through the man Christ Jesus who died on the cross and rose again on the third day. And unless you repent and believe this gospel, you will go to hell. That's it. You see, even the Jehovah's Witnesses took the King James Bible It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Instead of saying, and the Word was God, they inserted an indefinite article, A. The Word was a God. You see, if you back off that truth, and you say, well, he's a God. You have yours, I have mine. He's a God, just like You have your God. When you back off that truth, you won't be martyred. When you back off that truth, they won't come against you. You have your truth, I have mine. No, sorry, there's only one truth. There's only one truth. You can't have yours and God's. One of you's got a vain imagination and one of you's got the real thing. And I assure you, it's God. But the word of God says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Period. And God says in the book of Isaiah, there's no God beside me. There was none formed before him. Neither shall there be any after him. He said, beside me, there is none other. That discounts the Mormon faith. No, oh, you can have yours and we'll have ours. No. If, if we back off those fundamental truths, what we've done is we've made a vain imagination about who we think God should be. Instead of accepting who he is and following what he says, being godly, exercising yourself unto godliness, Exercising yourself unto godliness is taking God's word at what it says and following. Following. It says in the next verse, for bodily exercise profits little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. The reality is, is that people make vain imaginations about what they think God should be. And if you listen to enough philosophers and strategizers and they begin to reason with you and they begin to back you off those truths. And just like Jehovah's Witness, they try to insert an A where God said a the. You begin to listen to enough strategizers and compromisers enough, you'll begin to say, well, you know, ah, it's, it's okay. I mean, if we did that, and then we could all get along. Well, look, the world didn't know what to do with the disciples. As one, one, one famous preacher said, if, if the world couldn't get along with the disciples and Jesus, how can it get along with us? The world, listen, the world would not rest until they destroyed Jesus and the disciples. And yet, what do we want? Brother Clendenham, he said, a true man, a true man of God, they'll try to run out of town. A false man of God will get the key to the city from the mayor. Come on, 
You see somebody moving up the ranks in a city, guess what? They've done come off of the God. And they've come on to he's a God. Most of the time. I, I, I believe Brother Clendenham was exactly dead on. But here you see that there is an exercise unto godliness that we must do. And that exercise to godliness is casting down every imagination that exalts itself against God. Let me close with that passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let me show you. This is one of the things that you're going to have to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is where spiritual warfare kicks in. This is in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Let me just interject something real quick. You, you see battles going on in our world. We're not going to win them through politics. We're not going to take back this and take back that through politics. God's word, don't make a vain imagination. God's word said the battle's spiritual. And we can pull down the strongholds spiritually. You know what that looks like? That's when somebody gets saved when they're in office. You, you see, we look at things through the wrong lens. Oh, this guy's evil and this guy's good. No, this guy needs God. And this guy needs prayer to not backslide. You, we, we've got to begin to look at things through God's eyes. The battle's not won through politics. The battle's won through prayer. It's a spiritual battle. And those strongholds need to get broken off of our nation. We've got witchcraft rising, paganism rising, demonism rising. We've, we've given over a generation of babies, 60 million, to, to just ungodliness. And yet the church is so focused on politics, not realizing the battle belongs to the Lord. God can still change people's hearts. The, the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands. God can move a nation in one moment of time. When the enemy comes in like a flood, guess what? The spirit of the Lord raises a standard against him. It's a spiritual battle that we are in. It says that these, they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Here is what I want you to get. You're gonna, if you're going to get into spiritual warfare, this is what you got to get. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Many, many times imaginations will prop up. And one of the things that we've been, you know, the Lord's been hearkening on in this message is backing off of fundamental truths about who God is. It's a vain imagination to think that you can compromise 
off the truth of who God is and still remain godly. Got to hear that. I know I've been long, but you need to hear that. You, you cannot compromise, back off of a fundamental truth of the Word of God. There is no other way to heaven. There's no other God but ours. There's no way to be saved, to have your sins forgiven, but by the blood of the Lamb. You don't get saved by any other means. You can't compromise off those things and still expect to be godly. That's what the prophets of Jeremiah's day were doing. People were backing off the truth and telling people, you're still okay with God. And what do you see in the streets of America today? People can live however they want to live, and they'll find some church somewhere to find some no-spine-compromised pastor. Tell them it's okay. Itching ears. We have a job to do. Starts with us. You may not be able to change people, but you can you can have the Spirit of God change you. And if you'll let God change you, and then you begin to enter into this spiritual war, Amen. One can put a thousand, two can put ten thousand to flight. If we band together according to the Spirit of God and the truth of God and begin to pray together, we can begin to see a true change in our families, in our church, in our homes, in our places of business, and in our nation. But it's not going to come through politics, and it's not going to come through appeasing other faiths. It's going to come through the truth and spiritual warfare. Nothing Look, there's no other way that somebody can be free. Jesus said in John chapter 8, you shall know the, come on now, you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. You shall know the truth. The word of God is the truth. Jesus is the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. You want to see people get set free around you? Get a hold of the truth. Get full of the Spirit of God. Give them the truth. Give it to them in love. Give it to them in a desire to see them get saved. That's the thing. But the thing is, is you can't compromise off the truth. They need it. They need it. It, it, it. It's not about building buildings and kingdoms and denominations. It's about that person's eternity. And we have to care enough about that person's eternity to risk having tomatoes thrown at us. We have to care about people's eternity enough to risk being made fun of, mocked, left, turned away from, deserted. But we have to care about their eternity enough to give them the truth. Those prophets in Jeremiah's day, they outnumbered Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the only one preaching what he preached. All the other prophets turned away. All of them were saying, peace, peace, when there was no peace. And what you see today is you see there's a remnant like the Jeremiah's that are holding to the truth. But you see a majority saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
Choose this day who we serve, right? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. How about you? How about you? Amen. Lord, we bless you tonight, and we thank you for the truth of the word. Lord, we ask for your grace. In your word, Lord, you said that you give each and every one of us a measure of grace so that we can fulfill, so that we can walk in the calling that you have for us. Lord, I pray that we would receive that grace that we need for the battle ahead. Lord, do what is necessary in us to get us to that place. Lord, if, if anyone in here, Lord, if, if anyone in here needs a fresh touch of grace, Lord, I pray that you would prompt them to come to these altars, receive from you what only you can give us, a fresh touch of grace. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need a touch of grace, please come to the altars. Seek the Lord. Amen.